So, good morning again, um, and welcome to Sutton Vineyard. I'm here in now an alternative capacity uh, as assistant pastor uh, and part of our preaching team. So, uh, if you were here, you may remember the last time I preached, I gave you a quick countdown to Christmas. Julian's now stolen my thunder because he also gave a countdown to Christmas. However, it's very important to know how long is left. So, it is five weeks tomorrow, 36 days. Um, and not all too long until one of the peaks of kind of like Christmas and New Year TV, which for me isn't Call the Midwife or reruns of The Vicar of Dibley or even the Doctor Who special. It is the big fat quiz of the year. Does anybody else watch and participate? Amazing. So in preparation for the quiz, because now it's all on your radar, you too could participate. Uh, I thought we could have a little like warm up revision session of 2023. According to Google, today is day 323 of 2023, um, and I thought, let's have a look at what's already happened this year. So, in January, Prince Harry's memoirs were released. In February, Rihanna announced her pregnancy during a spectacular Super Bowl performance. Uh, in March, Westminster announced a ban of TikTok on all government devices. In April, King Charles appeared on the first Royal Mail stamps. And in May, we had the coronation. King Charles and Camilla were crowned. In June, Elton John played the last concert in his farewell tour at Glastonbury. <laughs> I mean, it was great. Uh, in July, Oppenheimer and Barbie led to the most successful weekend in cinemas since 2019. In August, the first UK's permanent delivery drone service began. I didn't know that one, you know. Uh, in September, the UK's first kidney transplant requiring no anti-rejection medication was successful. And in October, University College London announced a huge breakthrough in treating cervical cancer with a 35% reduction in mortality rate. So how many of those did you remember or that you were unaware of? Has anybody still not watched Barbie? Because I haven't either. I feel like that's, a, that's something to do over the festive period. Did any of them kind of like pass you by and you missed them completely? Um, these are kind of like mostly all enjoyable or light-hearted news stories from this year, but there have been some rather harrowing ones and traumatic ones too. So in January was the absolutely heartbreaking disappearance of Nicola Bully. In February, there was a fatal shooting at Epsom College. In March, we experienced the coldest weather snap since 2010. In April, war in Sudan began again. In May, two died and eight were injured at an incident on the Bournemouth coastline. In June, a major incident was declared in Nottingham with several killed. In July, two children die after a Land Rover crashed into a school in Wimbledon. In August, Wilco went into administration, risking 12,000 jobs. In September, Eliane Andam, 15-year-old schoolgirl from Croydon was, Croydon, was murdered on her way to school. And in October, hostages were taken, war breaks out between the IDF and Hamas, leaving thousands dead and wounded. And it's unsurprising that in my research, I could find far more harrowing and traumatic and distressing news stories than the positive, uplifting ones. 
And I don't know about you, but the overwhelming realities of life heard in the news from my friends in my own life can sometimes make me feel lost, lost in the chaos. And I say that as someone who is white living in Britain, and I don't, thankfully, struggle to make ends meet or get through each day. Our experiences of life today as individuals and as a community and looking into our world are often marred with confusion, fake news, media narratives and chaos. We can sometimes find it tricky seeing the woods through the trees, focusing on putting one foot in front of the other while life just whizzes on by. And life can also be all-consuming, taking up valuable breathing space and slowly encroaching on our peace. And I'd love us today to turn to what the Bible teaches us about chaos, about how we can rely on an unchanging, immutable God in the midst of chaos, personal crisis in our life and also in the world. So the first time we actually see the word chaos referred to in the Bible is in Genesis 1, right before, uh, right at the beginning of the creation of the world. So in Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When you were uh, a small child, did you ever sit and try and rid yourself of all thoughts in your mind? So like, sit here and challenge yourself to think of nothing. And then when you actually think you've thought of nothing, you realise you're actually thinking about thinking about nothing. Uh, well, the last time there was absolutely nothing was right around this point in the Bible, uh, in creation, when God leapt into creating what we now know as our world and our home. He set about bringing light to the darkness, sky to divide the water, um, the water from the water. He distinguished dry land from sea, created plants, the sun, the moon, the birds, animals, and finally people. But before this was the formless void or empty space that we read about in Genesis 1. In Hebrew, it is tohu wa bohu, with tohu meaning formless and bohu meaning void. It's actually the understanding that at the beginning of time, the nothing was actually something, and the something was chaos. The darkness over the surface of the deep, or the tehom in verse 2, is understood in Hebrew as chaotic cosmic sea on which the earth rests. The deepest part of the ocean as we know it today is 11,000 metres deep. Imagine how dark and how disorientating, how vast and lonely it would be down there. In order to create the light, the sea, the birds and the animals and us, God had to intervene and actually bring order to the chaos. And out of this narrative in Genesis of chaotic darkness, Greek and Hebrew mythology illustrates certain serpents or creatures as dragons of chaos. So you may have heard of Tiamat in mythology or in the book of Job, the image of the Leviathan, representing the fearful, disorderly dragon of chaos. And it's an image there for you to represent that. So the Leviathan actually also appears in the Psalms as a multi-headed sea serpent that is killed by God. In Isaiah, the Leviathan is a serpent and also a symbol of Israel's enemies who will be slain by God. 
And in Job 41, it's a sea monster and a symbol of God's power in creation. So chaos has typically been to humanity as a negative thing. It's something which feels rushed, like confusing, overwhelming and suffocating. But we know that God is the antithesis to those feelings and experiences. We know he is light, hope, clarity and peace. God is our unchanging, all-powerful and eternal creator. And he stepped into the chaos to bring order. He created the sun and the moon and the stars to regulate time and seasons and the world to operate in precise predictability. If the world were slightly closer to the sun, the glaciers would melt, sea levels would rise and flooding would be completely catastrophic. If the world was uh, one and a half degrees warmer, droughts would occur, there would be food shortages, um, wildfires would wipe out vast swathes of forestry and woodland. So it can feel like there are some things in our universe which seem unpredictable, but the more we discover, the more we see our very existence is actually built on complex systems. And our world was created precisely by a God of order out of darkness and chaos. Now I was thinking about this and I wonder if it's easier to imagine form and order developing out of nothing rather than out of darkness and chaos. Isn't it even more wondrous how God intervenes in the chaos to bring the opposite? One writer on Tohu Bohu says, but God is more than what we can fit into our conscious frameworks. He is more than what is known and ordered. This God is present too in the unknown, the unordered, the unformed, the unexplained, the unpredictable and the unconscious. This God is not obliged to validate our order or submit to our reason. Maybe this is why we can sometimes find it tricky to submit the chaos we see in our lives and in the world around us to the Lord. And perhaps this is also why the disciples struggled in the turbulent times that they encountered, even when Jesus was literally right there. So let's turn to Mark 4, where we see the disciples and Jesus in the middle of a storm. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And when I was reading that, I was kind of transported back to my first ever experience of a boat that I can remember. And we were on a catamaran on holiday when I was around 10 years old. It was a really calm day on the water and the boat had like a really nice glass bottom. So you could watch the fish swim past and you could feed them off the side of the boat. Um, we got off to jump and to swim, snorkel. And it was, to me, an altogether really nice day in the sun. It was a lovely experience, or so I thought. 
in my own kind of like delight and joy at a new experience, I hadn't realised the, the awful shade of green that my dad's face was turning as we kind of like bobbed along the coastline. Despite it being very calm and relaxed, his face looked like he had been on an Alton Towers thrill-seeker ride rather than bobbing gently along the coastline. So it's kind of no doubt really that the disciples in the story of Mark's gospel were really frightened of the squall. They were seasoned fishermen used to sailing boats in all weathers and they were now experienced one of the worst storms that they would ever encounter. And I found really interesting is that some biblical scholars explained that swimming was kind of less of a recreation or a leisure activity uh, for those in the time of Jesus, despite spending a lot of their time at sea. Um, even though they were kind of familiar with the waters, they probably wouldn't have known how to swim very well. And the idea of facing these huge waves in a tiny little boat as non-swimmers seems quite frightening when you think about it. And now, much unlike my own experience uh, on the catamaran, the disciples' sailing trip was at night on the Sea of Galilee. It was it is a large body of water at a very low altitude. So, I've done a lot of research into this. I'm not a geography kind of girl, but bear with me. The cooler air from the hills above the water could and did rush down and collide with the warmer air over the sea. And that is what resulted in some really nasty storms. And sort of like by all accounts, the one in Mark was a really bad one. So I like picture the scene. The disciples were in the dark, trying to navigate their way across the water, waves crashing over, very tiny boat, non-swimmers, and the winds were blowing really strong, no doubt pushing them off course. However, Jesus was just really peacefully sleeping in an area kind of probably located under the stern at the back of the boat, which was slightly covered, and we were told that he rested his head on a pillow. Now, maybe he was like really worn out after a long day ministering and walking everywhere. Maybe he was taking a break and he was due to be on deck later. Either way, the contrast between the panic of the disciples versus the chill peaceness of Jesus is deafening in the disciples' exchange with him. Don't you care, the disciples asked Jesus. Have you or have I ever looked around at the storms of life, clinging onto your own boat for dear life and either shouted verbally or internally the same question at God? Don't you care? Do you sometimes feel like the whirlwind of life and the punches of the waves and the chaos in your mind overshadows the voice of the Lord, leaving you to wonder, if he really is as miraculous and present as you thought he was. See, the disciples had already had a really good taste of the goodness, the trustworthiness and the power of Jesus. On their journey to the Sea of Galilee, they'd seen Jesus heal a sick man, heal a paralyzed man and a man's hand amongst many other miraculous healings. He hadn't had to do anything apart from declare them all well. He was powerful and he intervened in the chaos of the, those people's lives already. Even though the disciples knew Jesus could look after them, they still struggled in the chaos of the storm that night. 
Sometimes I find it tricky to see where God will intervene in my own life. I might see other people meet powerfully with Jesus, but I don't always have the same trust in God doing that for me in my own way. Much like the disciples had witnessed countless healings before the storm, they struggled in the midst of their own chaos to remember and believe in the power of Jesus. Now, what struck me most when I was looking into this passage preparing for today was that stillness of Jesus in comparison to the ferocity of the squall or the storm. And one writer that I read from explained Jesus's peaceful slumber as the untroubled serenity of divine omnipotence. I wonder if the disciples looked back when they got out of the boat and wished that they shared that innate, organic, untroubled serenity of the Lord in them. From his peaceful sleep, without hesitation, Jesus got up during the storm. He rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, be still. There was an instantaneous dramatic effect on the storm. The seas were stilled and the wind was calmed. We're told that the wind and the waves obeyed him. The power of the Lord in bringing order to chaos at creation was the same power ordering nature to follow him. In the ESV translation for this passage, the storm is referred to in Greek as lelaps megale, I think. Uh, I'm not a Greek scholar. Or it's literally translated as a great storm. Now, other translations of lelaps include a tempestuous wind or a hurricane. The calm then was referred to galen megale, or a great calm. The order to which Jesus brought nature to was one of complete opposite. He didn't kind of like simply stop the wind or calm the waves. He quite literally made the weather to a 180. The power that brought the order to chaos in Genesis was the same power that brought a great storm to a great calm. And Mark is not the only place in the Bible that we learn of God's supernatural power in our natural world. So in the Psalms, it says, But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. And it also says, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. As we've heard already, the sea and its associated darkness represents... to a lot of people, fear and turmoil, and the image of that Leviathan serpent being a really profound illustration. And perhaps that is why the disciples were most fearful that night. The water and the waves for them promised a certain injury, probable death, and a complete loss of their livelihood. Not only was the chaos in the present, it was promised in the future. Jesus provided his followers with a question that probably made them question more than just what was asked of them. In verse 40, Jesus asks, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the faith, the word for faith used here is pistis in the Greek. And that's not just like a average everyday faith. That is a confidence in the power of Jesus. Jesus wasn't asking his disciples for a faith that, you know, everything's going to be great or bad things won't happen to me. Jesus was asking his followers for faith in him. 
a faith in the power of Jesus, a faith in the same Holy Spirit that healed the paralyzed man, the sick man, the man's hand, and a faith in the power of order that was brought to that initial chaos. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the Genesis waters is the same spirit in Jesus. The power to intervene in nature at the very beginning of creation is the same power that silenced the wind and silenced the waves. So in coming together to think about the tohu wabohu and the calming of the seas, we see a God of order, a God of making things as they should be in the kingdom of God, a God in control. But we also see a distrust and a difficulty in the faith of the disciples and perhaps in ourselves as well. The disciples had seen Jesus heal people, yet they struggled to rely on him in the storm. We have, you know, may have encountered God in the Holy Spirit, yet struggle to see God's order in our lives. We may never have had or experienced the peace of Jesus in our own situations. And chaos and turbulence can become the norm in our lives in which we find uncomfortable familiarity. When we experience the unknown in our health or finances or in our futures or see things spiralling around us in our world, in our nation, and like the next thing after the next thing is really worrying or negative, it can be really hard to turn to the God of order. But 1 Corinthians 14.33 tells us, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. We've seen how God reached into the chaos to bring order to our planet. He can and he does reach into our lives to bring peace to our chaos. Jesus is inviting us to have confidence, to have the faith in his supernatural power to change things. And where else might we hear of that peace in scripture? So... One place that I thought of was Galatians, where Paul tells us that peace is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the type of peace that is the antithesis to turmoil and tangle that we see in chaos. And as you kind of like cast your mind back to Genesis 1-1 with God reaching into the chaos, his spirit was hovering over the waters. And perhaps we can turn to Holy Spirit in, in amongst the anguish and the deep-rooted keeping us up at night fear, the disassociation, that pit of worry, the wading through and the keeping on, keeping on. In Zechariah, it tells us, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We might, like the disciples, find ourselves without a compass in the swirling storms of life. But the Spirit of God, the same God who reached into the chaos, created the world, raised the dead, healed the sick, parted the seas, calmed the storms, and gave us peace, is the same Holy Spirit we can rely on today. Even if we see no immediate change to the chaos, the peace that God gives us is real and is powerful and is true. And I truly believe that I have experienced the magnitude of peace within chaos. Life hasn't done a 180, the situation's still the same, with the same unknowns and the same affiliations, but the peace of the Holy Spirit is powerful in me. 
And if the worship team can join us, I'd just really love us to sort of think about the following quote from Corrie ten Boom. It was a really helpful reflection as I was writing this talk. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Chaos can confuse us. It can blind us. It can disorientate us. God is in the business of bringing order to chaos and his Holy Spirit peace to our turmoil. Amen. Thank you.